If you want to, go ahead and open your Bibles or your phones, however it is that, that you digest God's Word, uh, to 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 2 is where we're going to be. So I, I'm, I'm going to use a little coded language here because um, we, we have young ears in the room. Uh, a couple of my children uh, are, are very creative uh, artistically. Um, they, they can draw incredible pictures. And one of them brought me a picture the other day. And they were like, hey, dad, uh, check this out. And it was one of those moments where, like, as a parent, you were, you were really like, you are like, oh, wow. Like, for years, I've been having to sort of pump myself up to receive this amazing gift that you have brought me. But in this moment, like, you have put together something very impressive. And um, my, my wife uh, is similar in, in one respect. Uh, when COVID hit, our church went through, I would imagine, the, the similar things that you guys did in the sense that uh, our church uh, really never had a building. We've been nomadic for the first few years. We were trying to figure out how we're going to do services. And while uh, COVID was hitting, my wife began um, growing and cultivating plants in our home. I don't know if any of you guys are green thumb people, um, but my wife would get so excited off of the smallest little leaf or bud, and she would like bring it around to everyone in the home. And isn't this the most amazing thing that you have ever seen? And it was similar. It was like, oh yeah, baby, that's like cool, a leaf and a blade of grass. But lately, over the past year and a half, she has gotten legitimately good at growing plants. We had a lady at church a couple of weeks ago make her a shirt that says, it's not hoarding if it's plants, because our house is covered up in green now. And the, the passage that we're about to look at, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, are predicated on something. They're predicated on understanding the gospel of Jesus, and then what is the natural next step? Now, I know Jamie, and I, I know that in knowing Jamie, you guys ha have, have been hearing the gospel, who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, who we are, what our sin is, and everything that God has done to bring us close to him. But what I want us to talk about this morning is what does God's word say is the very next thing that happens? Because similar to a piece of art that we appreciate compared to the development of that child and then really getting excited about it, similarly to a little blade of a plant and then all of a sudden when a massive plant comes, as people, we get excited when we see growth. We get excited when we see the gospel doing things and going places. And that is what this text is all about. So I'm gonna read this over us and then I'm gonna pray for us. First Timothy chapter two, verse one. If we get the gospel right, what happens next? First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our savior isn't that a beautiful piece of always wondering what is what I'm doing glorifying God am I am I pleasing the Lord in what I'm doing and and here he just gives it to his plain speech this kind of life of prayer is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge 
of the truth. Now, if you walk into, I would also recommend this. We're gonna look at a couple of other texts. I'd keep your finger in that one because it's gonna be the one that I'm constantly going back to as we spend our time together this morning. If you're a believer, the, the first three verses are, are really for you. If you have understood the gospel, that is for you. Here is how we build on the foundation of the gospel. But I, I, I sort of love this. I don't know you guys. You don't know me. I, I'm assuming that if you're here, you, you love Jesus or you wanna love Jesus more, or you're curious about Christ, but I don't know any of the, the idols that live in your world. I, I, I got to meet a couple of you guys. And, and so I feel like freshly, I can just say this. If you're a Christian, God expects more than anything else for you to build on that foundation one primary thing before everything else falls into place. And we're gonna find that that's prayer. But if you're not a Christian, I just want you to notice this in verse four. It is God's desire for you to be saved, for you to be in a relationship with God, and we are going to see the, the links that God went to for that. Now, I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know you, but I would imagine you are very similar to me. I would imagine you're very similar to my congregation in Columbus. And whenever I talk with people and I'm like, how's your life going? How's your walk with the Lord? We talk about going to church. We talk about reading our Bible. But whenever we talk about prayer, this is always the response I get. Ah, I should be praying a little bit more. I should be praying a little bit. It, it always in our hearts is that thing where we're like, uh, I, I probably should take a step in that. If you are like me, if you're like my people, my guess is when you close your eyes to pray, the same first words almost always come out. You notice that? It's like uh, if any of you guys have a dog running around in the backyard, they, when they get the zoomies, they take that same path and they have beat that path down. You know exactly where that dog's gonna run as soon as it gets excited. We as Christians so easily get into the rote and the job of prayer that if I'm not careful, the moment I close my eyes, Heavenly Father, it's the first thing that comes out because that is my vernacular, that is my path. My guess is when you get together in a small group, whether it's for fellowship or Bible study or something else, prayer is usually the leftovers of our time. That's what I see in so many of our small groups where like digging into fellowship or eating a good meal, talking about God's word, and then the kids start getting loud or somebody pokes somebody in the eye and we look at the clock and we're like, oh, we got 10 minutes left. How are we praying for each other? How are we praying? And it just grabs the leftovers. But what if we take God's word seriously in this text when it says, first of all. Of all of the things that a Christian is called to do, what if this is the kind of person you become? What, what does that turn you into as a man or as a woman, as a child, as a husband, as a wife, as a boss, as an employee? What happens to the person who's filling up their gas at the gas station when prayer is the forefront of their mind? What happens? Let's pray. And then we're gonna work through that text together. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that we do not need to pray with fancy words. We do not need to pray elaborate prayers. You are not impressed with how lengthy our prayer time is. You went to the length of sending your own son to die a gruesome death on a cross, undeserved, sinless for us, simply so that in this moment I can speak to you, we can speak to you, that we would be able to open up your word and hear from you. 
And Father, so many of us who have grown up in the church see prayer as just an old hat, a dust-covered book. But what if in this moment, in this morning together, we decided to look at the, the relationship of prayer that you have called us to and blessed us with? What if we became people who didn't see prayer as a job, but we saw it as a joy? And Father, I pray that you would do that for each and every one of us. For those of us who have loved you for a long time, would you give us fresh fire, fresh wind, and fresh desire? For those of us in this room who may not have a relationship with you or a very young relationship with you, would you show us how desperately and how much you desire just for us to have a relationship with you? We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. All right, let's work through our text together. Verse one, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. Why should you be prioritizing prayer in your life? Number one, because the Bible says so. And we really should be able and willing to leave it at that. First of all, the Bible tells us to do that. And that really is something that we see left cover to right cover, Old Testament to New Testament. Prayer is something that saturates the entirety of God's word. Let me show you this one passage out of 1 Chronicles 16, you can flip there if you want to, but it'll appear behind me. Here we read there, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Now, what's so cool about this text is who said it and why he said it. So most of you guys know David, kiddos. Y'all know David? Who did David kill? It was a big dude whose name was... Goliath, way to go, kids. All right, y'all, y'all, are, y'all are getting high marks this morning. So David kills Goliath, and this was after another battle that David went into. And he defeated God's enemies, and he got the Ark of the Covenant. And it was about to start coming back into Jerusalem, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us in, in our day and age after the cross. But before the cross, that was the presence of God. And so the church is gathering to celebrate that we're gonna be closer to God than we have been in a long time. It was such a celebration that David got all of the butchers and he got all of the bakers and he was like, start cooking stuff. This is gonna be a a nationwide cookout. Start baking bread and and, and he's just handing stuff out. Everybody's getting food, everybody's getting bread. And, And then for whatever reason, they made raisin cakes. And I don't understand this. My, my picture of a raisin cake is a little Debbie snack. You know what I'm talking about? Like the oatmeal cream. That's all I know about raisin cakes. But in the Old Testament, they're like a thing. It's like check under your chair for your raisin cake. You're the lucky one. And, and David is just like the whole country is about to celebrate. Now, I, I would be willing to bet that when most of us seek the presence of the Lord, it's when life has gotten really, really hard. Most of us are not seeking the Lord when, Debbie's, when, when the little Debbie's uh, snacks are abounding. Most of us are, are seeking the Lord when we don't know what to do. When we've gotten to the end of our rope, when we've extinguished all of our energy and all of our intellect and all of our ability, and we still have nothing left. And yet what David says is this, at the highest moments in your life, when, when all, of the, all of the good that you have been praying for happens, we pray. When the hardest parts of life happen, we pray, and so importantly, on the mundane Tuesday when you're just cruising to work or you're waking up and wiping the sleepy off your eye, a kid has knocked milk off the counter and you're like, well, I can already see which way this day is going to go. We pray. Why? Because the goal is not just to receive. The goal is to be in the presence of God. That's why prayer should be a priority for everyone who follows Christ. We were a number of years ago uh, helping a, a widow in our community. 
It was this really neat ministry uh, where churches and organizations were helping a family raise money for an adoption. And the way that they did that was they donated their time at a widow's home, and we went there, and while they were raising money, they were also uh, putting energy back into the community. And this woman, whose house had fallen into horrible disrepair, a shag carpet, and it was attached with those like little staple strips, you know what I'm talking about, and then the carpet gets bare, and you step on them in your socks, and you have to repent of the stuff that runs through your head. Like the, the whole thing's falling apart. Wood is rotting. Kudzu has eaten up the house, and I'm watching this woman. She's just standing in this small little house that has fallen apart since her husband passed away, a widow who has really had very little care, and then all of a sudden, the church. The church shows up, And she looks out a window at what used to be a green forest. And she sees men whose names she she doesn't know pulling down kudzu and running lawnmowers and weed eaters. She sees bags of trash going out, new paint going on walls. And within 18 hours, this woman's entire home was transformed. I was doing in that home the exact same jobs I do at my house. Somebody broke it, so now I gotta fix it, right? The grass never stays cut, so I gotta get back out there. And of course, I pick the day where the sun breaks through and the humidity is really high. And I'm all angry about it because this is my job. But do you know what was amazing? In that moment, none of it felt like a job. Painting a scuff mark that was probably from one of my kids throwing a ball in the house that they weren't supposed to at my house was, was painting a scuff mark at hers and watching the joy on her face. And when I saw the joy on her face, what used to be a job for me became joy. And the reason I say that is because I wanna show you one more scripture behind me before we work through our primary text. This is Proverbs fifteen eight. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord. The sacrifices were a good thing. In fact, it was supposed to be the symbol of coming closest to the Lord. It was supposed to be the example of somebody who says, doesn't matter what it costs me, I want a relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who made me in his own image. But God is saying the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord. There is a way to do the things a Christian is called to do and it be detestable to the Lord. That's your Bible. That's my Bible but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Notice the the order here. We can be doing things and our hearts be completely wrong and we can be not doing things, sitting still, sitting in quiet, pursuing the Lord and that is the delight of God. What amazes me about this text is it tells me that when I am praying to God in spirit and in truth, it delights him, puts a smile on his face. It makes me in this moment just want to stop and pray knowing that it turns and changes and warms the heart of God. So as we work through our text, first and foremost, once a gospel foundation is laid, prioritize prayer. The, the, the way that I got into pastoral ministry was actually with kids. Y'all are my favorite people in this room. Don't tell your parents, but you're my absolute favorite people in this room. Y'all are just straight up. You're honest. Like, you, you, you don't push back. You, like, you're just my favorite, okay? And I worked in camp ministry for years. I, I did not want to be a, a, a preacher. I did not want to be a pastor. I wanted to work in camp ministry and have my family in camp ministry, and, and it was going to be a wonderful thing. And the Holy Spirit was like, that's not what's going to happen. And so, you know, we submit. But I remember this. I, I worked at a, a 
camp for underprivileged kids. Most of them came from single or um, even no parent homes where they stayed uh, with their grandparents. And they would come to camp for one week. And that week they knew they were gonna get a meal at every meal time. And they knew that we had a pool and there was nothing special about the pool. But for them, that was the coolest thing in the world that they were gonna get to go swimming at a pool. And we would do those VBS bracelets. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You're right, like there's a black one and you're like, oh, sin. And then you go to red, Jesus's blood, white. And then you get to green and back to all this kind of stuff. And, and we would work through those bracelets with the kids and, and I would walk through it. And if a kid wanted to become a Christian, if they were like, no, I, I wanna ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I wanna walk with the Lord. And as, as I say this, I'm realizing maybe not the healthiest thing that after that conversation, they got to go swimming. It's like, no, really, I wanna accept Jesus quickly and now because then I get to go swimming. I, I don't think that happened, but I'm a little concerned in this moment. Um, but, but we would walk, it, walk them through it and I would say this. I would say, look, if you, want, if you want to love the Lord with your heart, it's really simple. We need to pray, we need to read our Bible, we need to go to church, and we need to tell other people about Christ. I've never forgotten that. I hadn't done that in 20 years. Pray, read your Bible, go to church, tell other people about Jesus. Can I just tell you, you're already doing two of those things most likely. I know you're doing one of them because I see you, right? You're going to church, you're holding your Bible or you're faking it really well while I'm up here looking. It looks like you're on your phone in your Bible, I don't know, but the two that remain tend to be the two that are hardest for Christians. Evangelism, sharing our faith, and being serious about prayer. One of the most important reasons to prioritize prayer is because it almost always precedes evangelism everywhere we see in scripture. So if you are like most people, and those are the two that you need to grow in, before the disciples are, uh, are before the apostles are sent out in Acts, they pray before we see the great things happening in the kingdom of God, there is prayer. But how do we pray? Well, Paul tells Timothy in verse one, first of all, so most important thing, pray. Well, how do I pray? I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. So he says, the most important thing is that you pray, but when you pray, there is a dialect of prayer. All right, and the dialect of prayer is diversity. And what's happening here is he's not only saying we need to pray for different kinds of people, he's also saying we need to pray different kinds of prayers. And maybe this will help you if you feel like you're in a rut in your prayer where you close your eyes and you go in the same direction. Or maybe in our family, we close every evening with, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And maybe breaking out of that rhythm would be a healthy thing. So how are we called to pray. Well, first, we see supplication. Supplication is an appeal. It's a plea. It's a beg. It, it, it is when many times we hit those difficult times in life, and we're saying, God, I need you to supply something. Supply the energy that I need to not fall into the sin. Give me the ability to make it one more hour, one more day, one more week in this thing that you have called me to. And when the disciples look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to teach us how to pray. Does he teach them this? Absolutely he does. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. That is how they are taught to pray in supplication. But that is not the only way that we are taught to pray. 
The, the verse goes on, it says prayer. I put that one in blue. I'm gonna skip over that one and I'm gonna go to intercession. I'll come back to prayer. In intercession, the idea here is familiarity and freedom and boldness. A lot of times when we think of intercession, we think of there's this individual over here who may not be praying. There's a holy God over here that they need to be made right. So I am standing in, the, in between interceding and, and that is a correct application. But that ability is based on the person who is praying having familiarity with a holy God to be able to point them to and draw them to. There's this uh, incredible parable in, in the New Testament about a neighbor who wakes up in the middle of the night and he realizes he needs something. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this one or not. He wakes up in the middle of the night and I can't remember what it is, but he's like, oh, I gotta have this thing and I gotta have it now. And it doesn't matter that it's 1.30 in the morning. I gotta get it. And so what does he do? He gets up and he goes to his neighbor's house and he starts knocking on the door. And from inside the house, yelling to the door, the neighbor says, dude, it is late. By the way, this is not an exact translation. All right, don't, don't quote me on this. The, the, guy, the guy says, dude, it is late. Come back tomorrow. My kids are asleep. I'm gonna have to step over them. Just come back in the morning. My wife already doesn't like your wife. You are not helping matters. Can you please just come back to morning, in the morning? And finally, he flings open the door and he says, what do you want? It doesn't even matter what you want. I'm gonna give you whatever you ask just so that you'll go home. It is not a parable about being a good neighbor. If that is how you are applying it, you are misapplying the word of God. It is a parable on how we are to come to the Lord with boldness. This is the idea behind intercession. We see this in the Lord's prayer when we pray, our Father who art in heaven. He is hallowed, he is holy, but we have the freedom and the boldness and the relationship if we are a repentant believer in Christ to go to God as our father. It's why in Hebrews, the Bible says, come boldly into the throne room of grace. It's why in scripture, we hear God say, if you would ask me for good things, I would give them to you. What good father doesn't give to his children things that are good for him? What else do we see? We see intercession. I'm sorry, we see thanksgiving. We all know what that one is. It's when we're expressing gratitude all over the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. Yours is the kingdom. This world is not my kingdom, but thanks be to God that one day you're gonna remake this entire thing. Thanks be to God that yours is the power, that it isn't up to me to make it to the end. It's up to me to trust on the spirit of God to carry me to the end. It is up to me to be dependent. Yours is the glory. It isn't about me. Thank you, God, that the kingdom is in your hands, the power is in your hands, that glory exists. And he says prayer, which is odd because to us, the word prayer is kind of the umbrella that sits over these three things. But what's happening here is that Paul is looking at Timothy and he's like, I want you to pray diverse types of prayers for diverse types of people. And uh, in the other three that I've already shared with you, this is what to do. This is how to pray. But this word prayer is all about where your focus is. It's in the Lord's prayer saying, hallowed be thy name. That in a moment, for any of us who are trusting in Christ, just consider how phenomenal this is. We're in Peachtree City, sitting in a room, and you can close your eyes, you can open your eyes, you can walk to the back, you can sit where you are and speak to the creator of the universe. That is a, a phenomenal reality that God has opened up to us. But we don't just pray diverse types of prayers, we pray them for diverse types of people. 
let's step into some things that could be a little contentious and awkward. Racism exists in our world. Economic diversity and inequality exists in our world. And as this was written to God's people at this time, the the lives and the world that you and I live in, as broken as it is, and it will continue to be broken until Jesus comes back, as broken as it is, we do not have a clue what it was like to see the thick lines of, uh, of racism, the thick lines of inequality that they understood in this day. In fact, the... The thing that is, in, in my mind, so amazing is the biggest break in the New Testament between a group of people was the Jews and the Gentiles. The word Gentile means not a Jew. That's what it means. And as Paul is telling Timothy how to pray, notice this, he says, I want all of these kinds of prayers to be made for all different kinds of people. And there were so many things that separated the Jews from the Gentiles, Um, They they had outward signs like circumcision. They ate different foods. They celebrated different festivals. They had a monotheistic God instead of a polytheistic, paganistic religion. They had so many things that were different about them, but Gentiles could still respond to the the foreshadowings of the gospel and become followers of God. They were called God-fearers, or they were called half-Jew. They had all sorts of different names for them, proselytes. But they were never called Jewish. Do you know how amazing it is that we call a light-skinned believer Christian and we call a dark-skinned believer Christian and we call someone who's somewhere in the middle Christian, that we call somebody who is wealthy in response to the gospel Christian and somebody who is a day laborer in response to the gospel, we call that person a Christian. It doesn't matter if you have degree upon degree upon degree. If you respond to the gospel, we call you a Christian. And if you didn't finish high school and you respond to the gospel, we call it Christian. That is phenomenal in human history. And it is what the gospel does. It is what the gospel creates. And one of the things that God would put on display is simply this. You will never pray for somebody that is more unlike you than you were unlike Christ and his care for you. Or to put it a different way, the gap that Jesus covered to come to you will always be greater than the gap that he calls you to cover in praying for others. You are never asked to go farther in praying for somebody who is different than you, somebody that you may not like, somebody that is an enemy of yours than Jesus went in making you a friend of God if you're a Christian. And, and kids, I, I've seen you guys do this really well, not you particularly, but if you're like the kids that I hang out with at my church, y'all do a really good job of when Kyle pokes you in the eye and you get upset about it, being willing to forgive. Sometimes y'all do better than the adults in that, quite honestly. And God is calling us to pray for people who are not like us and pray for people who we do not like. And God really, really means this. How do I know it? Well, because the text goes on. First of all, then I urge supplications. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all all who are in high positions. Why? So that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, that we would be godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. When you pray for those who have leadership authority over you, it pleases God. 
Now notice the text says pray for, not pray at, okay? That there is a way to pray at your boss. There is a way to pray at our political leaders. There is a way to pray at things. But God's desire is that we would be praying for people who could not be more different than us, for people who are not even believers but are in positions of authority. I want to show you a picture of a dude. Uh, This guy is Nero. By the way, this isn't his actual picture. There he is. There's a bust of him. Probably one of the worst guys in human history. So don't smile. You're not allowed to smile when you see his picture. This is a bad, bad dude. Nero took over Rome when he was about 16 or 17 years old. And after taking it over, had a horrible relationship with Christians. But not only that, he was incredibly self-absorbed. Kids, if y'all want to think of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, fair, okay? Like, was all about himself. Even when he became the emperor, he continued uh, going in chariot races just so that people would look at him and appreciate him. He would sing, he would act, he would be in place. I I don't know that there has ever been a, a guy on earth who more needed the approval of people that he really didn't care much for. He ends up, many historians think, setting Rome on fire because he needed to clear 300 plus acres to build a 90 foot tall statue of himself. I mean, you're talking about a selfish dude, burned 10 out of 14 Roman districts. This guy who routinely killed Christians, put them in the Colosseum. I won't go into details because of the, the, the audience that we have right now. Just bad, horrible, heart-wrenching stuff. This is who was in charge when Paul wrote this. This was the guy who likely led to Paul's death. And do you know what Paul says? Pray for your leaders. And if Paul can say that about this guy, none of us get a pass in praying for our leaders. But what really kicked me in the gut was not just praying for our political leaders. And I'll be honest with you, I wrote this before all of the stuff that happened in Afghanistan. Many of us in this room have a visceral reaction to what we see on the news. And it is hard for us to want the best for people that we may not agree with. Paul had a much worse example and yet prayed for him. But what really kicks me in the gut is this. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy's just a young guy. He's trying to figure out how to make a church work, and he's got all sorts of problems in the church, and and Paul's just trying to encourage him. He's trying to encourage him to, to continue to fight the good fight and to stay in it and to not give up, even though there are outside forces and inside forces that are disrupting things in Timothy's church. Paul's like, no, I want you to stay the course. I want you to stay in this. But this is what amazed me. Paul speaks more noticeably and and negatively about those who influence the soul than those who influence the state. Paul is noticeably more concerned with those leading and influencing the soul than those who lead and influence the state. I mean, he tells uh, Alexander and Hymenaeus, those were two of the guys who were leading the church at the time. He's like, just put them out of the church. How can he say that and be praying for Nero at the same time? Because Paul is significantly more concerned with the spiritual development of a person than world events. And I would just ask, are we? 
Are you more concerned with what happens on a tax rate or a political decision? Are you more concerned with what happens in healthcare? Are you more concerned with what comes out of Washington or comes out of the the governor's office? Or are you more concerned that people are preaching a prosperity gospel or people are preaching a Jesus light gospel? What actually hits our hearts with more power? Because Paul would say, I can handle a million Nero's. And the dude was like, Hitler, I can handle a million of those, but I can't handle people leading the the flock of God astray. Timothy, pray for your leaders. Crosspoint, I would just encourage you the same way I encourage my people Pray for your leaders. Pray for Jamie. Pray for his wife. Pray for your, your, your worship pastor. Pray for everybody who has any leadership role in the church. Lift them up. Pray that God would give them vision. Pray that he would hold them up because God's word points to this as massively important. And if I could also encourage you, if Paul's gonna pray for a leader like Nero, you and I should be praying impossible prayers. What I mean by that is let's not be Crayola Christians when it comes to our prayers. Pray for things that you in a million years could never bring about. Don't stop praying for that father who won't repent. Don't stop praying for that neighbor who is harsh. Don't stop praying for for God to usher in peace. The Pax Romana was a period of peace in Rome that hit, and it literally paved the streets for the gospel to go out. Christians, we need to pray for peace. Pray beyond your ability. Pray beyond your influence. And now let me give you some very practical stuff before I close us up with the last verse. Saying prayer, like pray a lot. It's like, thanks, Will, I already know. Didn't feel great about it before I walked in. Really not feeling great about it now. So uh, let me give you a hand with something I'm trying to grow in. Let me tell you three things you should do now. In other words, before your your rear end pops up off the seat. Let me tell you four things I think you should do tomorrow or starting tonight. Three things for now. Pick a time, pick a place, and pick a procedure for prayer. None of us go on a vacation without planning it unless you want it to go poorly, looking at my wife for what just happened over the past 48 hours, all right? If you plan to show up in prayer and it be deep and meaningful, but you are not going to give it any time, I think that is a very unwise expectation. Pick a time, pick a place. I can't help you with that, but I will say this. Don't pick a time that doesn't work on the weekends. If you're like, oh, first thing I do when I get into the office, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit that. Or, or, you know what, it's really quiet around this time, but then you know when Saturday hits and Sunday hits, it's all just not gonna work. Pick a time. This is why Christians across history have many times woken up with the sun, before the sun, before the kids, before the farm animals start making noise so that they can have a time and they can have a place. And now let me help you a little bit with the procedure. These would be the four things I would do next as we look at this text. Number one, I would pray scripture. One of the the healthiest things that you can do is pray God's word back to him. I I know when I was younger, I was always worried, like, am I being heretical in my prayer? Did I just say something that was wrong or not fully right? One of the most beautiful things about praying scripture, and Psalms is my favorite, is we can flip to a psalm, we can read it, Every one of your days was written before one of them came to be. And instead of just reading it, I can close my eyes and I can say, you know what, Lord? Since that is true, I know that this day, which I'm not looking forward to, is something that you planned. Would you fill me with your spirit so that I can live out the the narrative of the gospel in my own place? 
and we just pray through scripture. If that sounds a little tough, let me recommend a book for you. This is a book by Timothy Keller called The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. I, my wife and I read this occasionally at night. It's a one-pager. You read a passage of scripture. Tim Keller gives you a, a paragraph, and then he has a prayer written out for you. Pray scripture. That would be the first thing that I would do. The second thing is I would pray the news. I don't know how you guys read the news. I, I've got people in my congregation that still get like a newspaper and that's how they do their news. I've got uh, some people who listen to the radio, some people who do podcasts, some people who don't do anything and in a crisis, they're just gonna be the first ones not to make it. They just don't know what's happening in the world around them. This is how it always goes bad in zombie movies, so I, I pray for them. But the, the, all of us probably get news in one or two ways. Can I, can I give you a really cool thing that you could do? Pick a small number. I, I'm looking at my watch and I'm seeing the number two. And whenever you begin digesting news, refuse to go passive until you have prayed that many times. You press play on the news and you hear about a local fire, you hear about a local accident and, and you press pause and you pray for your local area. Or you hear about what's going on uh, in the crisis in Afghanistan and what's happening on the border walls. And before you just digest and absorb news, you press pause and you go to the one who can actually do something about it while you and I remain in Georgia. Pray the news. Thirdly, pray for peace. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your boss. Kids, you can pray for your parents. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your coaches. Pray for your bosses. I, I think another way that we can pray for peace is remembering that there are many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who can't do this. There's no building for them to meet in. There's no air conditioning for them to run. There's no scripture from left cover to right cover, Genesis to Revelations for them to hold. And they are pursuing Jesus without all of those things. Can't we pray for them? There's a, a website, persecution.com, that's run by Voice of the Martyrs. And I didn't plan this, but the very first thing that popped up when I took the screenshot says, partner in the gospel, the first request of frontline workers is for prayer. Pray for those that you support in mission. It is so good for us to get outside of our little bubbles and realize how hard it is to be a Christian in some places. If you have children and you wanna help them hear and see what God is doing across the world, there's this book called Window on the World that Operation World put out where I think there's like 90 different countries with updated information, what's going on, how can you pray for them, work this into your family worship time, work this into your devotional time. And it has five stars, so that's great. Two eight ratings, five stars, solid, solid work there, guys. The, the last thing that I would tell you is pray for your enemies. And I don't have a snazzy slide for this. I do have something I think is a lot better. It's Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. How do we build on that love? What's the first thing that we see? Pray for those who persecute you. And then finally, if I were to give you the, the last thing to do, so, you know, time, place, and a procedure, and in that procedure, we're praying scripture, and, and we're, we're, we're praying the news, and we're praying for peace. Pray in community intentionally. When you gather together as Christians, don't always allow prayer to be the last thing you do. Don't allow it to just have the leftovers. But occasionally when you meet in a small group, you meet in a Bible study, ladies, when y'all have your Bible study, guys, when you get together for lunch, whatever it is, occasionally just say, why don't we today prioritize prayer and give it our best 15 or 20 minutes on the front end and not what we have left on the end? These things 
matter to God. Our last verse, going back to our primary text in verse four. Why does this matter to to God? Because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a lot of theology there to unpack and I don't have to hang out. So you can talk to Jamie about that after I leave. But what I will tell you is this, God desires for people to be saved. And prayer is the primary force of that. It is the first thing that goes out. Praying for people is not evangelism light. It is the fuel tank in the engine of evangelism. I used to, uh, when, I, when I was working at that camp and we would work through those bracelets, we used to do something that probably would be illegal now. But it, I mean, it was back in the, the 90s and stuff like that. And so those of you who are adults know, we used to be able to do all sorts of stuff that we just can't do anymore. We, we would see about 600 kids a summer. And like I told you, most of them came from uh, underprivileged homes. And I don't know if you know this about child psychology, but children who come from the most difficult homes actually have the highest amount of homesickness. You would think it would be the other way around, but when you're not not certain what you're going back to, it increases homesickness in a great way. And, and year after year, week after week, night after night, we would have all of these kids who were just, <laughs> and, and they were sniffling, they got homesick, we couldn't talk them, we couldn't counsel them, we were sharing scripture with them. I'm not saying this is better than the scripture. So we wised up and we ordered homesick pills. To do this, we went to a local pharmacy and we said, hey, we need to get homesick pills. And they're like, that's not a thing. And we were like, we know that, but six-year-olds don't. So here's what we need for you to do. They would get us one of those orange prescription tubes with the white cap, you know, the child print, and they would print on the label homesick pills. And they would put a date and they would take one before bedtime as needed. And we treated that like it was an inhaler or diabetes medicine or an EpiPen at camp. And, and, and you didn't put sweet tarts in it because kids could read and kids aren't dumb. So you put sweet tarts in it. And, and, and so we put it in the medicine cabinet. And a kid, uh, a kid would start getting homesick and his counselor would come to the senior cabin and he would open the door and it had one of those really long springs. So it was like, and then it always slammed as soon as the kid came in. So all the senior counselors, you know, we, we, we snapped to and we walked out and there's this kid just, oh man, they're, they're, worst night of their entire lives. And we take out the key because homesick medicine is important. We unlocked it. And there it was in the case of all of the other important medications. And we would open it. And how long have you been feeling this way? Like we went through all the diagnostics and we would give them a homesick pill and they ate the homesick pill. And they're like, oh man, homesick pills taste pretty good. It's pretty solid. And they went back to their cabin and they went to sleep. And the next night, need my homesick pill. And the next night, night, after night, after night. It worked because it was a placebo. Prayer is not. Prayer is not something that we go to because we have a day that is less than optimal. Prayer is not something that we go to because our life is a little off or we feel a little down or maybe we feel a little distant from God. No, prayer is a meaningful, deep connection with God that was bought at the blood of Christ. It, it changes the things that seem unchangeable. It halts the evil that seems unstoppable. It brings to pass what in your hands and my hands is absolutely impossible. We pray simply because God desires to know you. And if you and I were given the opportunity to download every thought, fear, and inclination of someone, 
It would feel empty and void just to have the information. But when they look us eye to eye and tears are rolling down their face or joy is being expressed in their body language, we connect with that person. We love that person because we desire to know them. What if our prayer lives stopped being a job and they started becoming a joy because you know that God desires to meet with you? So much so that he was willing to send his son to create a way for you to have constant, eternal, moment-by-moment communication with him.